Acts 2:40 through 47. With many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we're so grateful uh, that you are with us now, that your spirit is present with us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us into the truth this morning. Lord, we pray for Matt as he preaches, that you would use him as an instrument in your hands. God, give him confidence uh, in your word and confidence as you work uh, in and through him uh, to preach this morning. I pray for us as the hearers, Lord, that you would open our blind eyes, open our deaf ears, open our hardened hearts, Father. Lord, to hear from you this morning. Lord, may your name be glorified this morning. May the body of Christ be edified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom and, and Julia. Um, am I on here? Can you hear me okay? I, um, I want to encourage you that if you have not gotten to know Tom and Julia yet, you need to get to know them. Uh, God has blessed this church immensely with Tom and Julia and their family. They have been a blessing to me personally. They are humble servant leaders that have confidence in the power of, of the gospel, and they really do put their money where their mouth is. They, they don't just talk the talk. I mean, they walk it, and uh, I'm really encouraged by them. So, so please, if you have not uh, met them, make sure you introduce yourselves to them. If you're, no, if you're new and you don't know, know who in the world I am, my name is Matt. My name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. I do most of the uh, ranting and raving and sweating and spitting in front of everybody every Sunday, um, also known as preaching. Um, still figuring that one out, but that's what I do. And if you and I haven't met yet, uh, please, uh, especially, you know, sometime during, during a meal together, come say hi to me. I would, love, I would love to meet you. Now, to bring you up to speed, we are in a series. We're right in the middle of a series called Back to Our Roots. And um, what we're doing in this series is we are looking through these different churches that were planted, the very first churches that we see in the book of Acts. And so we're skipping through the book of Acts, looking at these different churches in different cities and trying to learn from them uh, what was good, what was bad. And then we want to ask ourselves, well, then what kind of church is God calling us to be here today where God has, has put us? So... Here's the thing about America, one of the challenges in America, and it's this value known as rugged individualism. Um, and the truth is, it's become idolatry. 
And unfortunately, it has infected churches everywhere. And the thing that we see in, throughout this series and, and throughout the scriptures is that Jesus and the writers of the scriptures saw the church as a family, right? A Christ-centered family that is for each other, uh, uh, that, that loves each other, and that, that depend on each other. No lone rangers. There's interdependence going on. God's called us to be a church where everyone can belong because we all belong to King Jesus. Now the passage that Tom just read for us shows the early church freshly filled with the Holy Spirit and unwaveringly devoted to Jesus and his family. Now here's the deal. Maybe you're, you haven't been to church in a long time and, and uh, you thought that you'd go because somebody invited you. Or whatever. Maybe, maybe you put off church because you were burned by some church people somewhere and, and now you're skeptical about church everywhere. I want you to know, I get that. I've seen that happen a lot. And so that is exactly why we are studying the early church and asking what does it look like? What's church supposed to look like? And if you're taking notes with a handout in your bulletin, that's our first point here. What's it look like? And in this passage, we see four characteristics um, that paint a picture for us. And the first one is this. The first one is caring, a church that is genuinely caring. Verse 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That is amazing, caring community. Now there's a phrase in there that's, that's actually kind of famous in its day. The phrase says, had all things in common. Some people look at that and think, you know, does that mean the Bible is promoting communism? And my answer to that is no. I like this picture. These are communist leaders with party hats and a party drink because they're the leaders of the communist party, I guess. Right? You're welcome. In communism, you have, uh, you have state ownership of all property. In Christianity, you have private ownership of property. But, and, and in, the, in, the, in the church, they have private property, but people are voluntarily and earnestly and, and radically generous. It, it just flowed out of, of, of being a, a Christ-centered community, and they're, they're, they, weren't, you know, they didn't have their arms twisted by guilt or the government. They were inspired by grace. Christianity says, you know what? We're family and what's mine is yours and I'm absolutely, absolutely stoked to share it with you. That phrase, all things in common, is, is, is found only once in the scriptures and it's right here. And it was a phrase that we used um, quite a bit in Greek political theory. Plato viewed private property as the root of all evil. And so Plato argued that to rid society of evil, all things by law should be held in common. And he was given the opportunity to implement his theory in the ancient city of Syracuse, and it failed miserably. And so 
Luke deliberately uses this phrase here, and all of his original listeners would have recognized it. And so when he uses it here, what he's saying is, what you all tried and failed at is actually working here in Jerusalem. What your earthly effort could not do, God's Spirit has done in his people. And only God, who he is and what he's done, can change people's hearts in order to live like that. They were so loving that when someone was in need, they sacrificially sold their stuff so that they could use the money to help them. And they were so selflessly generous that later Luke says, there was not a needy person among them. Luke is a historian. He's writing history. And he says, there was not a needy person among them among their congregation, and in that immediate community. I mean, that right there was an incredibly powerful witness to Luke's original leaders, to his uh, readers, his contemporaries. And I'm telling you right now, it is a very powerful witness today as, as we seek to be a church that loves God, that loves each other, and loves our neighbors. Here's the truth. I'm not just giving you some good advice. Here's what you should do. What I'm telling you is, if you see how much God cared for you in a sacrificial way, even taking our sin upon himself on the cross, when you see God's sacrificial care for you, it does something to your heart in such a way where you will want to be sacrificially caring for other people. It's just a logical, rational response to the gospel. What else are you going to do? So that's the fruit that grows in your heart. And here's what's cool. Um, you know, many of you have known, my wife has major health problems. We have some challenges and stuff. And I, I've just been blown away by the way you all have uh, cared for, for me and my family. It's been absolutely amazing. You know, there, um, I don't know of any, like, church specialist conference guy say, if you want your church to grow, take out the pastor, afflict his wife, make him unavailable. No one would teach that at any kind of church seminar. But I tell you what we've experienced. We've experienced the, the, because God used our, our weakness, his, his strength was perfected, and you all just have stepped up and loved us and loved each other, and it's been amazing for me to watch. And you were inspired by grace, the grace of Christ. And, and it, it, it increases my, my faith. And so not only will we be caring, uh, we will live open lives, okay? Uh, verse 46, it says, Day by day, they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Generous hearts. Uh, your translation might say sincere hearts. What that is saying right here is that the masks are off. There's no hidden agenda there's nothing to hide. Now, this world trains us to hide, doesn't it? We live in a culture of shame. And so what we want to do, what at least we try to do, is we try to hide our failures, hide our sin, hide our pain, and to protect ourselves from being too open with other people. And that isolates people. That is not the kind of community God designed us for. 
Jesus' family is, is to be made up of Christians who are open and honest and, and lovingly transparent with no need to cover up. They graciously and gently speak the truth in love so that the relationships become deep and strong. You know what happens if we have a culture like that uh, in our church? Here's what happens. It, it, it means that, that together as, a, as God's church, as God's family, we become unshockable. We become unshockable. People can be open with us knowing that we won't use it against them. You know, God gave us all a desire to, to know and be known, to love and be loved, but this world will use it against us. The church must be different. It must be unshockable. Christ wants to use us to be a church where people can come in weak and find the strength and the love and the truth that they're looking for. It helps them lead, it helps lead them to a life-changing reality with Jesus. And I've been in, encouraged by you all. I see, I see, I've seen teenagers coming to church, you know, with shaved head mohawk up to here. Green shirt that says this blank in pain is real and see people hug him and shake his hand and welcome him. That's encouraging to me as opposed to what are you doing wearing that in the house of the Lord? They're looking for something. They're searching and you have good news for them and you can tell them how to find it. I've seen a woman couple come to church you know, nervous because they don't know how the church is going to act toward them, holding on to each other's hand because they feel nervous because they don't know how the church is going to res respond to them. And I see you love them and embrace them and encourage them. By far, the majority, one particular couple I'm thinking of, it only took one woman to give them kind of a scowl-dirty look to make them feel like they, they couldn't come back here. But for the most part, I see you guys welcoming each other, saying, you know what? Follow me as I follow Christ. We all need grace. And, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it'll radically change your, your life, just like it radically changed my life. And it comes from a place of, of humility and, and hospitality. You don't water down the truth or anything. You love them with, with the truth in a loving way, in a way that makes them feel loved. That's what God's created us to be. That is totally different than the way the world treats them out there. The church must be different. Third, a Christ-centered church is joyful. Again, verse 46, uh, they were breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So not only uh, did they have generous hearts, but they had glad hearts. Throughout the book of Acts, we meet believers filled with gladness and, and, and rejoicing. And it was not, it was not a shallow, fake, happy, clappy, Turn that frown upside down, grin and bear it kind of a deal. It was genuine. These people were joyful and rejoicing, even though they were suffering incredibly difficult times. I mean, they're, they're out of work, they're in poverty, they're unable to put food on the table, they lived in a hostile environment, and because of their faith, many were beaten, many were locked up, and many were put to death. But... They had this persevering joy that could not be crushed. 
And they sing songs like, like we sing here about the grace and the truth and the love of Jesus and God's promises. That word translated glad here has a rich Old Testament background and it refers to the joy of knowing God's salvation. That their sins were forgiven. That their heavenly father was in control and one day all things will be made good and right. Therefore, they are filled with the joy of the Lord. And then this Christ-centered community was growing. Verse 47 says, pray, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As you go through the book of, of Acts, you see in chapter 1 that the Christian community was 120 people. Then in chapter 2, it grows to 3,000. And then in chapter 4, it grows to 5,000. And in chapter 5, it was multitudes. Multitudes were, were consistently being added to the point that a sweeping, there was a sweeping impact throughout the entire Roman Empire. The whole, the whole community was spreading the word. They, they didn't just give the job to the pastor. They didn't form like a, a, you know, a little committee, you know, outreach committee. You know, they, they didn't rely on, on the church staff. Everybody was so impacted by this good news that, that they wanted to share it with people. Everybody, I mean, it was, it was just this... Um, kind of grassroots kind of thing that just took off like wildfire. The whole community was spreading the word. This, this church historian right here said that, that the primary change agents in the spread of faith were the men and women who earned their livelihood in some purely secure manner and spoke of their faith to those uh, whom they met in this natural fashion. You know, that's exactly what the Beckus are training people to do overseas with the unreached people groups. I think that's a good strategy for us too. I mean, that's how the word got out and that's how the word spread in the early church. And so God is calling you to do that as well. You, you don't have to feel like you're worthy because guess what? You're not. And neither am I. But we have good news and we can share it with people in a humble way. This is what a Christ-centered church family looks like is caring, open lives, joyful, and, and growing because everybody is sharing, sharing the good news in a humble, natural way. But now, why does it look like this? I mean, I can't just be up here saying, here's what you gotta do. The Bible says for you to be caring, live open lives, be joyful, and grow by sharing the, the, the word of God. Now get out of here and do it. There's no gospel power in that. That's just good advice. That's not good news. We need the good news for our hearts to change so that we'll want to do this. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, are miracles awesome or what? Miracles are pretty awesome. I'd be blown away. I, I, I'm a sucker for street magic and video, YouTube videos where they just freak everybody out. But there was something way more important going on here. These people were filled with awe 
because the risen Christ was with them and they knew it. That was far more important. Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, he was crucified, dead, buried, rose again, and now he is with them by his spirit. This right here is the major theme throughout the book of Acts. This is what set them free from fear to live courageous life in the face of hard times. It empowered the early church to flip the world upside down. And all the great things that happened in the early church and all the things that are happening in Christian communities today is because of this that Jesus is with his people and they know it. This is what makes Jesus' family caring. Because we know we have infinite treasures in heaven. First and foremost, King Jesus. Our value is not determined by our money or our popularity, but by God purchasing us with his blood. If we have everything but Jesus, we have nothing. If we have nothing but Jesus, we have everything. He frees us from the idol of possessions to serve God by serving others. And this is what makes us live open lives. We're free from the fear of being exposed and, and ashamed. We, we, are, we are given freedom and so, so we don't have to hide anymore or pretend like we're better than we really are. The, the only one who ultimately counts has said that you are his children in whom he is well pleased. It doesn't get any better than that. And this is what makes us joyful. Jesus is with us, and we know it. We are free from the bondage to, to the highs and the lows of just the daily grind. Free from the idol of circumstantial happiness. Free to enter into the real joy of God's salvation because you know it's a done deal. That's what Jesus said on the cross. He said, it is finished. And this is what makes us grow in a way that renews the city. Jesus is with us and we know it. We are, fear from, we are free from rejection. We are free from criticism. If, if our family and friends reject us, we know that God accepts us and welcomes us into his glory. And it doesn't get any better than that. And so that means we're free to share the love and truth of Jesus in a loving way. You know, when we come together on Sundays, picnic Sunday or any other Sunday during, during the year, we, we get together in our home groups or if we get together in our DNA groups, um, don't miss the reality of what's going on there. I mean, right here, right now, as we are gathered together as family, I mean, we are meeting together with the resurrected Christ. He is with us. He is with us. Yeah, we learn the scriptures, pray, encourage one another, but that's a means to an end. The goal is to encounter and know our resurrected Christ in, in a personal way way in community. So my encouragement to you is don't settle for anything less than that. 
Don't settle for some lame religious hobby. It's not worth it. Experiencing and knowing Christ in community, that'll change your life because it changes your heart. So when you are anticipating meeting here on Sundays or getting coffee with somebody or DNA home groups or whatever, I want you to pray for an awareness of Jesus' presence. He has promised to meet with you and you can count on him keeping that promise. Now that all sounds great, right? But how can we be this? How can Infusion Church be devoted to Jesus and his family? How can we be filled with this awe that sets us free from all other fears? How can we know that he is with us? First and foremost, believe the gospel. Maybe you think, I already believe the gospel. You need to keep believing the gospel and believe it more, all right? The gospel is not just for non-Christians, it's for Christians. Like Tom says, the gospel is not just, the good news of Jesus is not just what saves us, it's what also transforms us. We all need to keep growing in our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. Peter's preaching and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation and those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Christ is with those who believe Peter's message. You know how you know that you believe the message? is because you are experiencing Christ with you. And it changes you. I mean, you're aware of his presence with you, that's, that's evidence that, 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 that you believe the gospel. Look, we all know that this world has a cancer that makes everything fall apart. Things we often look to for meaning and purpose in life, like our job, possessions, relationship, health, but it all falls, all falls apart. And Peter says, there is a power that can reverse that cancer, a power that heals the ruin of sin and brings together all that falls apart. And that power is a person. It is God in the flesh. And he came to earth and on the cross, he took that cancer upon himself and he fell apart for us. And what that did was it stopped and reversed the cancer of sin and death. And on the third day, He broke death's hold. He rose from the grave, and now he is live and with you. Peter's telling us that this power is in the world right now. Maybe some of you don't believe because you still don't understand the message, and and you have doubts. Well, I want you to know, we've all been there, and we're all here for you, and, and, and we want you to know that we invite your questions It's important for your questions and your doubts to be addressed. You won't insult us. We're eager for that kind of stuff so that we can help you understand the message. That's why we're here. Maybe others of you, maybe you understand the message. Maybe you agree with it. But you've become bored with it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Jesus. Cross, grave, resurrection. Tell me something I haven't heard. 
That's a lack of faith in the gospel. It's just not real to you. The good news has become old news to you. If you're not filled with awe, you're still in bondage to, to fear. Or if, if you have little or no experience of Christ being with you, I mean, you need to take that seriously and know that the solution is, God, please, I'm dependent on you to make the gospel more real to me. Increase my faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. That, there's nothing boring about that. If it's boring to you, you've missed it completely, and you don't understand it. You might agree with it intellectually, but that doesn't, make, that doesn't matter. It's not life-changing. Luke shows us what it looks like when we are devoted to Jesus and his family. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So here's what I want you to know. In a, in, in a culture of rugged individualism, in a, in a, which has infected the church to reduce Christianity to a me and Jesus kind of a deal, you need to know that the scriptures do not separate devotion to Jesus and devotion to his family. We see throughout the scriptures that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the truth of Jesus and his kingdom. Therefore, they were devoted to the fellowship. We can read the Bible and pray in private, but the emphasis here is hearing and discussing God's word and, and praying in community. Because that, it's in community that we experience Jesus to the fullest. Together. At Christmas, we, we refer to Jesus as Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Anybody remember what Emmanuel means? God with us. Not God with me all by myself. Just me and God. Forget everybody else. Don't need them. Don't care. God with us. It's, it's, it's a community thing. Jesus' family. American individualism, American individualism says that I'm good on my own, just me and Jesus. But Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father. The primary way we experience the presence of Jesus is together as we study his word and share with each other and partake in the sacraments together and pray together and break bread together like we're going to do after the service here. That's why we do things like, like Picnic Sunday. That's why a lot of the crowded houses share a meal together. That's why for the month of September, next week, after every service, people bring their own food or, the, between ser or right after service grab something down the street, and we're going to just hang out and eat together here for every Sunday after each service throughout September. Devoted means to place great value, to make top priority, to spend much time with. What are the obstacles to that kind of devotion in your life? Usually it's because we're devoted to other things, like work, play, or laziness. Uh, in Christ and his people just become optional. We don't view it as life-giving. So I'm not being legalistic about it. It's just life-giving, that's all. That is, God's called us to view life through the lens of who he is and his kingdom. But so often what we do is we view life through the values of the rest of the world. So why should the world even consider Christianity if it's no different? 
if we're not living as a radically different alternative community, if, if there's no experience in the pre- of the presence of Christ. And how do we change that? It's the same for non-Christians that it is for Christians. It's belief in the gospel. And it's the good news of Jesus that leads you to devote yourself to Jesus and his family. So get into community. Make new priorities in response to God's grace. Jesus is calling together a people to possess. That will have a powerful impact on our city. And you know what? It has a powerful impact on me as I see you guys living, living that out. Yeah. To see so many people act as if, so many people in our church act as if we're paying them 20 bucks an hour with like union benefits. It's amazing to me to see people carve out time to go visit the sick or those in prison uh, or, or to help out, out around here or, or share meals with a, a family that just had a new addition uh, to their, to their family. It's just, it's amazing to me. I, I had a family come to me, asked my permission, which they didn't need, but they asked my permission if they could, you know, walk around and pick up trash around the church property. <laughs> it's just... It's that kind of spirit, just wanting to help out and wherever they can, because we're family, and family does kind of family chores together, you know? We love each other because God loved us, and we want to share that love wherever we go, in our own church and, and, and beyond. So in response to this, I want to give you just one encouragement, one suggestion of something that you can do in response to this. One, one change in your life that you can apply. We're going to be doing sign-ups for our crowded houses. Uh, we're going to start sign-ups soon. When, when, do, when do we start those sign-ups? Next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to start our sign-ups for crowded houses, our home groups. If you've never been in one or it's been a while, sign up, join, join one of the crowded houses. And, I mean, see, see Tom Levine about that. They're small groups who meet weekly in homes. They're devoted to Jesus and each other and the, and the apostles' teaching, which is the, the gospel. And Jesus says, I will be with you. You will experience me in that. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, the Father and I will abide in you. The Spirit, my Holy Spirit, will be in you and with you where two or three are gathered in community. My encouragement to you is to reprioritize your life so you can experience that. We believe Jesus does what he promised. We acknowledge his presence and welcome him into our midst. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Don't miss out. Be devoted to Jesus and his family. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?